God. You may be seated. Let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we turn to you. We trust in humility and submission. Surrender to your mighty Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, for your direction as we begin this little session. May your name be glorified. Help us just to seek your face and seek your will. Give us words, Heavenly Father. Be with each one of these dear, dear young people. Direct their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I appreciate the respect that Brother Merle has indicated that I have. It made me think of something else. There was an old brother that we loved, everybody loved. He was a very useful vessel in the church, one who brought two churches, three churches together into one, mainly his instrumentality in doing that. He had respect, and he passed away, and one of his admirers, his nephew, wrote a poem about him, and it said, it was the master in him. The master, the master in him. So don't give me credit. If I have a smile or if I have a respect, it's the master. Give that. Give respect to the master. I think we'll sing one more song. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Uh, number 197. While you're finding that, I want to point to this hymn book. We've talked about it before. It took 12 years for John Overhauld and his family to assemble it. And in the front, he has a lot of advice, a lot of comments, a lot of uh, comments about how to sing and how to sing with the Spirit. And he has some interesting martyr comments. And if you turn to... Um, XI, that's chapter 11 in the introduction. There's some things I just want to point you to. Number 7, almost to the top of the page, it says, While the others were being drowned and executed, the rest who were yet alive and waited for death sang until the executioner took them. 350 persons. This is from Martyr's Mirror, page 1529. No, it's page 437, I'm sorry. Down at the bottom, number 19, when he was led to death and having been brought from the wagon upon the scaffold, he lifted up his voice and sang the hymn, Father in, him I, in heaven I call, O strengthen now my faith. The rope which, with which he was to be strangled, becoming a little loose, having not been twisted well by the executioner, he again lifted up his voice and sang the end of the, of the said hymn. Brethren, sisters, all goodbye. We must now separate till we meet beyond the sky with Christ our only head. For this yourselves prepare, and I'll await you there. And then down that next page, number 30, Claudine was beautiful of person and a good singer, so that she moved the bystanders with her singing. Especially on the last day of her life, people stood before the prison to hear her sing with a joyful heart when death was announced to her, one who related it to me had heard her sing with a clear, strong voice the 27th Psalm of David. Um, how does that start? The Lord is my light and my salvation. That's how that 27th Psalm starts. I just want to point to that because this uh, book came at a lot of cost, um, but 12 years isn't the whole life. These people gave their lives for the faith. This section that has been assigned to me is on worship and praise. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Someone has said that we don't really need a thousand if we'll just praise Him with the tongue we have. I've got some, some important things in mind for today. We want to praise the Lord Jesus, first of all. And we want to draw attention a little bit to David, who wrote many of the psalms. I said David, writer of the psalms of praise. 
insert many of the psalms of praise because he didn't write all of them. We tend to think, well, David wrote all the psalms, but that's not quite true. Hebrews 1 starts out, God who in sundry times in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of the the ex, brightness of his glory and the express image of him, his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I don't know if I quoted that accurately or not, but this um, Hebrews, the first chapter of Hebrews tell about, tells about the superiority of the Lord Jesus over angels. Study it. We're not going to read it. We're not going to go in any further. I'll just give you the, the privilege of studying that for yourself. I would like to turn to Psalm 100 and recite this together. Probably most of you could, or a lot of you could say it. I almost can, but my memory isn't what it ought to be, what it used to be even. So let's stand together and recite Psalm 100. It's an easy one to recite. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. You may be seated. It doesn't say that this is a psalm of David. The next one does say a psalm of David, so possibly Psalm 100 was too, but it is a psalm of praise. And our subject today is worship and praise. We'd like to do a character sketch of David, and what can you say about David? I have a list of probably 15 words here, but I'd like to hear from you, from the, the class here, girls or boys. He had courage. Courage, okay, he certainly did. Honest. Honest. Yes, most of the time. <laughs> I want to point out one time when he wasn't terribly honest. Uh, what was it? Repentance. Repentance, okay. After God's own heart, right. That's what makes it so special because he was a man after God's own heart even though he made quite a few mistakes. Isn't that an encouragement to us in a way? Not that he made mistakes, but that he was a man of God who made mistakes. Um, and so we don't want to encourage making mistakes, but it gives us comfort. Any other characteristics among you sisters here of David? There's a lot you could say. Respect for authority. Respect for authority. Yes, he always respected Saul. He had opportunity to eliminate him. His followers encouraged him to do that, but he never would. He forbade them to touch him. He did... Uh, cut something off his coat once to prove that he was right there and could have killed him. Well, I'll read what I have. He was loyal to Saul and Jonathan. He was cleverly dishonest to Achish of Gath. If you remember, he told where he had gone to fight. It was some of Achish's enemies, but he had really gone to, no, yeah, it was their enemies and it was his own people, I think, but he had really gone to the Philistines and other places, if I remember right. He was wary of God's, of Saul's promises. He uh, had to, to flee from him. Unswerving when his men wanted to slay Saul. Vengeful on the Amalekite who said he slew Saul. He didn't give him any quarter. He came, this Amalekite came to David hoping to be praised and he was slain. Bonded in love to Jonathan, he was brave to face Goliath, the lion, the bear. He was an accurate marksman with a sling, we all know that. Respectful to Abner, regretting his death when Joab actually slew him. Sensitive to justice, he slew the killer of Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth wanted to be king after Saul. 
instead of David, and uh, uh, he was slain by his own people, and um, David interpreted that as a treacherous act, and he slew them, or him. He was displeased when God slew Uzzah. He just couldn't quite understand that when Uzzah had touched the ark to stabilize it, and he shouldn't have. He was desiring to build a house for God, and I ask, why couldn't he build that house? Right. Yeah, he wanted to have someone who was a man of peace to build the temple. And who built it then? Solomon, right. Subject to temptation, tried to cover his sin, had Uriah slain. He was repentant. We were called to Psalm 51. He was unaware of the treachery of Absalom. He was mournful about Absalom. He was mistaken when he had Joab number the people. He was wise to counsel Solomon. 1 Kings 2, I have as a reference here. Well, we could go on and on probably about David. There's a lot of stories, a lot of good things we could glean from that. You've probably heard lots of sermons about that, but we want to go on. Um, I have a note here. Praising God is one of the highest and purest acts of religion. In prayer, we act like men. In praise, we act like angels. And so this section is on worship and praise. And the next section we have here is the times when Jesus was worshipped. Now this was kind of brought about by a conversation I had years ago when I worked in the hardware store. This man would come in and take up my time. He asked me questions and made comments that I could hardly keep still. I had to answer him, and yet I was supposed to be on the job, and I felt bad that he took my time. He was a Jehovah's Witness, and one of the things that he claimed was that, God, that Jesus was just a son of God and he shouldn't be worshipped. That's entirely contrary to scriptures, and I've listed ten places here. I know there were more, but they weren't actually said that he was worshipped, I don't believe. I think these are the only places where it actually stated that. But we know that many times he was given the reverence and the respect that he deserved. Matthew 2.11 was when the wise men came to the baby Jesus. They worshipped him. Matthew 8.2, the leper. And he said, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus said, I will be thou clean. And he worshipped him there. Matthew 9.18, a ruler whose daughter had died. This in Mark, Mark's account was Jairus. He worshipped him. Matthew 14.33, the disciples after Peter walked on the water. And Matthew 15.25, the woman of Canaan about her daughter. We talked about her yesterday. Uh, he was the, the woman was the one who was persistent in her desire that Jesus would heal her daughter. He, she knew he could. She was willing to be called a dog even or to be classified as a dog. He didn't call her a dog, but he put her in that category in a way and she was willing to accept that. Matthew 8, 9, the women, after Jesus' resurrection, they held him by the feet and worshipped him. In Matthew 8:17, in Galilee, after his resurrection, when they met him in Galilee, Mark 5, 6, the Gadarene wild man. Luke 24, 52, after his ascension, when they worshipped him and went back. I don't remember exactly the account there, but it was when he ascended. And they saw him go and pass into the clouds. John 9, 38, the man blind from birth worshipped the Lord Jesus. I've got a little exercise for us. You know, you probably have heard that his nails were put in his hand, but probably most people feel like that if he hung on that, it probably would have ripped out. And a lot of people feel like he was nailed here in his wrist. And I think of all the, nail, all the bones in that area, it says a bone of him was not broken, so the nails went through without cutting the bones. But I want us to think about this. I want us to hold our wrist if you think it was in his hand, that's all right too. But wherever 
I want us to stand now and worship Him holding your wrist. If you want to hold up your hands, you want to hold up both of them. Lord Jesus, we worship You today. We thank You, Heavenly Father, for giving Your only begotten Son to be crucified on the cross for us. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for going there and allowing... You could have called 10,000 angels, but You allowed sinful men to drive nails through Your hands and through Your feet and have a, a crown of thorns on Your head and be lifted up on the cross and hanging there in agony and pain. Not only physical pain, but bearing the sins of the world. Thank You, Lord Jesus. We worship You today. We want to worship You throughout our lives. We don't want it ever to stop, Lord Jesus. Live in our hearts. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit. You can make this right inside of us. Lord, just go with us today and always. Help us to remember You, Lord, as we go out to Seattle and, and meet people. Help us to represent You as the One who died that we might live. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. Something else I wanted to say and it's escaped me. Something about worshiping Jesus. Well, let's go on. Number two says, Other instances of worship and praise. We're not going to turn to these, but in Daniel 2, 17-23, Daniel and his three friends praised God for the answer. They prayed to Him that He would reveal to Him, uh, to them, about this, uh, this image, what it meant. This image that Nebuchadnezzar saw and he couldn't, couldn't find out. It, it frightened him, I think. That he appealed to Daniel, and Daniel and his three friends praised God when he gave them the answer. In the Lord's Prayer, we've talked about this some, but uh, they said, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said, when you pray, say, and then it, that's Luke 11, 2-4, and after this manner, therefore pray ye, that's the one in Matthew that we use most, then we want to turn again to John's high priestly prayer in John 17. Turn with me there. We won't do a lot of reading here, but I'd like to call some attention to uh, some of the precious truths there that he prayed about. <clears throat> I wish we could see Jesus in prayer for us. It says, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. He realized what was coming. It was almost time for the cross. And he didn't want to go there. But he said, May thy will be done. But then he went over at how the Father had glorified him and sent him in the, wor in the world to do the work and he had been obedient he said I've done what you told me to do I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me that's verse 8 and they have received them then I, he says I pray for them I pray not for the world in a way we pray for the world we'll probably pray for the people here but I think he meant the worldly system he prayed for the people I believe he prays for us even before we accept him no doubt He's interceding for us even today. But he doesn't pray for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine. And then he said, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And he said, I'm coming to thee. And then sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And I wanted to get down here to where... Um, he says uh, I pray neither pray I for these alone but for them also which shall believe on me through their word that's us dear ones he prayed for us too at that time 
and that they may all be one. I know there's a lot of plain churches that have had divisions in the last ten years. And it is, is it a violation against this prayer of Jesus that they be one? I don't like it, but we have to be real. We just have to accept it. And I have to look deeper. I have to find a way in which God's people are one without having to worship all in the same place and have the same responsibilities in individual congregations. That may not be uh, so bad. It may not be entirely out of God's will. But there's something that is out of God's will, and that's when we're not one in the Spirit. We are to be one in the Spirit. We are to serve Him as part of the body of Christ. We are not to exclude anyone. We're not to judge other people. We can see the errors but you know, they can probably see some of ours too. At least, I don't want to recommend that you forsake the traditions you've been given. You've been given an awful lot. You've been given good traditions. I could even read you testimony about the brethren garb, but I don't think this is quite the place for it. But don't forsake your traditions and the good things you've been taught. It says that they may be made perfect in one. I believe there is a perfection that can be attained in, in this perfection or this one in the Spirit. Certainly don't make it in our uh, one in, in our organizations, do we? We're not perfect in one there for sure. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. I think that's what we are longing for. That's what we're here for, that His love might be in us. And that we might manifest that love this afternoon. That it might be just not just going out there and looking down on those people and realizing that here's someone that doesn't believe and we'll help them if we can and go on if we can't. We need to have true love for those people. Even if we can't help them, we need to love them not making any charges here. We're all in the same boat. His Gethsemane prayer. Uh, we have gone over that, and I've listed the places here in Luke. We went over it that that was the time it was recorded that he sweat blood. Sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground, and if you read closely, he fell on his face. We see pictures of him kneeling at a big stone, but it says he fell on his face as he worshipped his father and sought his will. Hannah's prayer. I think we've maybe gone over that. Um, and Saul in Damascus. You know, Ananias was fearful. He said, why Lord, he's the one that's, that's persecuted your people. He's even come here to, to arrest people. And the Lord referred, uh, assured Ananias that he was harmless that he was changed and when he said behold he prayeth that meant a lot when someone prays it tells something about their character in fact I might have had a comment about that maybe I have one yet maybe tomorrow a little Hebrew lesson in this next section hallelujah means praise the Lord <laughs> hallelujah means praise the Lord that's a Hebrew word and we can learn that here. It says, Preaching reaches the heart of the people. Prayer reaches the heart of God. That's a quote from David Skiles, my dear cousin and dear brother in Christ that's now gone to his reward. And I wanted to comment that preaching is also valuable. Paul writes, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. So preaching and prayer are both valuable. Repentance is a part, not just one time, but daily. Oh, and I've got a parable here. The parable of the black stick. And I hope I can give you this parable the way it ought to be given to you. I've got a black stick here. It's really just a piece of oak that I've spray-painted. But the parable is supposed to be a stick of ebony. 
And it's pretty important, we can just kind of pretend here, but it's pretty important that you realize that ebony is very valuable. I don't know if I've ever seen a piece of ebony. Maybe I have on maybe uh, piano keys or something like that where uh, it's used, but uh, just to see a stick of ebony, I don't think I have. But the parable talks about a master carver working with this stick of ebony. And he carves and he scrapes and he drills and he hollows out. He opens holes in this stick of ebony, but he strikes it smooth and sands it smooth and pares it down so it's not maybe quite as large as it used to be. It's going to be a slim piece of ebony when he's through with it. It's going to have holes in it. It's going to have a hole in the end of it. Can you guess what that piece of ebony might be when the master carver is through with it? It has holes in the sides. It has a hole in the end. And to give it away, it has a mouthpiece at this end. A a flute or at least a, a musical instrument of some kind. Now, what does the parable mean? You young people are the black stick. You're very valuable. Not a piece of oak, but a piece of ebony. You're very valuable in the sight of God. Your souls are worth more than all the world. And you're being fashioned. You're being carved on. You're being drilled. And I wish I could be so specific about some of the things that God is doing in your life to shape you up. I'm not accusing you. I'm not putting you down. But I know there's things in our lives that ought to be changed, that ought to be drilled out, hollowed out, and formed and polished. I mourn when I think of the time that has taken up valuable time on things I don't even know about, the Facebook and the Internet and all these YouTubes and all this kind of stuff that I can't even name. And you probably know all about this. Be sure that what you use, how you use it, is to the glory of God because the Bible says do all things to the glory of God. And that may be something and and maybe many other things. You know your lives better than I do. You've been attention has been called I know to some of the fellows I haven't heard about the women but I know we all have defects and we can all make progress and we can all stand some of the shaving and the drilling of the Lord and you know where you need to improve I'm not charging dear ones I only speak out of love because I know we have a powerful adversary that wants your very soul even once your life. We had a man that came and prayed for my mother when she was sick and in the hospital. And he said, I know that you have an adversary here that wants your very life. It stuck with me because that's what that adversary wants. But we got a Savior that's on the other side. That's on the top side. And He wants your life too. And He's the one that's shaping you for His glory. And you know, when you get shaped in the parable, when this black stick gets shaped to a a musical instrument, it can play beautiful music. That's the point. That's the point. It's not that we get rid of everything. It's that we take on good things. Our brother told us about the evil music of the world. Very impressive way. I would like to point us to the music of heaven that you take, pray to God to take my voice and let me sing only, always to my King. Is it, can we examine ourselves in that way? Can our music be changed from what the brother showed us the other day? I don't know if you're even involved in that, but we know it's the music of the world. But we can be involved in the music of heaven. I just hope we can learn to play beautiful music. That's, the black stick. I've got another one and maybe I'll just
use it in connection with that. I didn't, I think I had it listed a little further down on my notes, but I've got something here. How many of you know what this is? I think you all do. Can you name it for me? Right, it's a chambered nautilus. And it, it has a lesson. Even the fact that I broke it has a lesson. This was broken before and I glued it up. And I, I have several of these because I think it's such a beautiful thing and has so many good lessons. And uh, so I thought I'll take the one that, uh, that was broken and that I had to glue in case I break it. And sure enough, we broke it, having it in our suitcase. But you know... This can also be kind of like the black stick. This can be like our lives. And this starts very tiny. And I don't know if it's each year or each season or how it is, but each period of time a new chamber is added. And that, that creature moves into that new, cre that new chamber. And in the end, it's filling this outer chamber. It actually comes out of this somewhat, but it lives in that area. And the fact that this is broken, I just want us to know that, and we've, we've heard about it, we know that we need to be broken in order to be fashioned like our Lord wants us to be fashioned. But this thing grows and grows, and eventually he leaves that shell. And I have some... Um, writings about this. Um, Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote a poem about this chambered nautilus. I can recite the last verse, but maybe I'll just read it. It's a long poem, so I'll just recite the last verse. Build thee more stately mansions, O my soul. As the swift seasons roll, Leave thy low vaulted past. Let each new temple nobler than the last shut thee from heaven with a dome more vast till thou at length art free, leaving thine outgrown shell by life's unresting sea. Now he doesn't mention anything about Jesus and that's the problem I have with this chambered Nautilus poem because Jesus is in this and he's the one who gives us the ability to build more stately mansions for our soul. And he's the one that saves us and allows us eventually to leave that old shell by life's unresting sea and go to glory because he saves us. I've got some other comments here, um, some stories to read. Um, Colossians 4, 2 and 3 says... Continue in prayer. I want to just turn to that and read it. Continue in prayer. Is it watching the same with thanksgiving? Is that what that one, that one says? Colossians uh, 4, 2, and 3. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. And then there's Daniel nine sixteen to 23. I think I'll just describe that. That was where Daniel confessed the sins of his people. And uh, God loved Daniel so much. But it comes to the point where uh, he says uh, that uh, God hath determined 70 years upon Israel. I don't have that uh, accurately spoken. But there were 70 years determined, and from then on, um, men of prophecy have used this and got all kinds of ideas about it. I'm not going to go into that. But Daniel was a man greatly beloved and he was willing to confess his sins and the sins of his people. It's an attitude I just hope we can have. The next I have the story of Hank. Now our, the ones that came from California with us will remember the story of Hank. Uh, Brother Lloyd uh, found this in uh, Corrie ten Boom's writing. 
I have it here someplace. Just a boy named Hank. Hank was a boy who was a member of my Bible class for mentally retarded. He came from a family with 11 children, and it was difficult for his poor, tired mother to give him much attention. It was from this simple little boy that I saw again how the Holy Spirit reveals himself in such a marvelous way to low IQ people. Once I visited Hank at home, and his mother received me with such a thankful manner. Hank talks so much about the stories you tell in his Bible class. He never remembers anything about any other class, but when he comes from your class, he talks to his brothers and sisters about it. Is Hank at home? He's in his room upstairs in the corner of the attic. He's there most of the time. He's really my easiest boy. We know he'll never become a professor or anything important, but he does work for his salary. He's in a government workshop where he makes clothespins the whole day. Dear Hank, he's so satisfied, but when he's at home, the house is so full of noise that he goes to his attic room. I went upstairs and found Hank on his knees in front of a chair. Before him was an old dirty picture of Jesus on the cross. I stopped at the door to listen, for Hank was singing. His voice was soft and hoarse. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come into thy freedom, gladness, and light. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of the depths of ruin untold, into the peace of thy sheltering fold, ever thy glorious face to behold. Jesus, I come to thee. I've heard Bach played by Schweitzer and anthems sung by gigantic choirs, but at that moment I felt as if I were in a cathedral with angels surrounding me. I tiptoed back downstairs without disturbing him, praising God again for the love he brings into the lives of even the least of them. Sometime later I heard that Hank's mother had gone into his attic room and found him before the chair with the picture of Jesus in his hand. Hank was home, home with the Lord. When I heard about his death, I wondered if he had been singing, Jesus, I come to thee. At that last moment, beautiful little story of a boy that was ready to go. I had to examine my heart. Am I ready to go? Can I see Jesus? I come. It won't be long for me. It may not be long for some of you either. We just don't know that. One old brother used to say, the old must die and the young may die. And I guess that's just as true as it can be. I have some more stories here. Maybe they don't just particularly talk about prayer, but they do talk about worship and praise. I have a, a writing here that I want you to hear. It's called, Are You Following Jesus or Believing in Christ? Do you believe in Christ? It isn't hard to answer that. What is wanted is an affirmative response to treasured propositions about the second person in the Trinity. But when someone says, are you following Jesus, or asks, this can get to be expensive. This question has to do with my lifestyle, my attitudes, my values, my surrender. If I'm following Jesus, why am I such a good insurance risk? If I'm following Jesus, why? When I've done my giving, have I so much left over for myself? If I'm following Jesus, why do my closets bulge when so many are unclothed? If I'm following Jesus, why do I have so many friends among the affluent and so few among the poor? If I'm following Jesus, why do I have so much privacy in a world that is starved for love? If I'm following Jesus, why am I tempted to overeat in a world in which so many beg for, for bread? If I'm following Jesus, why am I getting along so well in a world that marked Him out for death? Are you following Jesus or believing in Christ? Unfair, you say, the two are inseparable. Theoretically, yes, but practically, no. We separate them all the time. If we must, let us err on the side of following 
For one can believe without following, but one cannot follow without believing. We have the little prayer schedule for an hour, and it there the prayers begin and end with praise. I just wanted to notice that here in another place. Our prayers can begin and end with praise. And I want to call our attention to the potter's house in Jeremiah 18. Let's just turn to that. I don't think we'll be reading it, but uh, God told Jeremiah to go to the potter's house. And he had some lessons there for him. And I'm aware that this is a lesson for Israel, but I think it can be very applicable to the individual as well. And I want to just read a little of this. He went to the potter's house, and verse 4 says of chapter 18 of Jeremiah, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? Saith the Lord, Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. I want us to think about that as individuals. We are clay in the potter's hand. We are the black stick being carved. We are the chambered nautilus growing to better heights. But what if in this process were marred in the potter's hands. What does he do? Does he take that clay and throw it out? No. He keeps the same clay and he works it over into another vessel. He makes the application here, at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If, I do evil in my, if it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. It can be the same to individuals. God is in control and He's the grand potter and He is able to shape us if we'll only become yielded clay in His hands. That's our part. His part is to do the shaping when we yield to Him. We've heard a lot about that we can't do it and that's just as true as it can be. I don't know of anything that we need to learn uh, that's any truer but we can't do it. We're on, we're on his, in his hands and um, needing his grace for each time. I have a couple more stories here or things to read. I want to ask in connection with the clay and the potter's hands, what are God's plans for you? I've written it here. What are God's plans for you today? We plan to go into Seattle, but there's probably a... a personal sense in which maybe it doesn't involve so much what we're going to do, but about what we're going to be inside, what we're going to be thinking, what we're going to be concentrating on, what we're really going to be yearning in our very hearts. And that is what we heard this morning, to be possessed and guided by the Holy Spirit of God. So what are your plans for your lifetime? I think I know. I think I know your plans. I've heard enough to, uh, in this uh, series to know that you have good intentions and you want to do what's right and you want to end up in glory. I have another s- section called Every Knee Shall Bow. Um, this is a writing from, again, from uh, the uh, devotions in the still waters. So it was for one day this came. Um, the salesman sat in my display room, leaning forward intensely. I used to be a wicked person, but I stopped all that. I am not one who has to go on his knees every day. I have no need to be forgiven. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I live a good, clean life. I have no need to belong to a church, nor am I a Pharisee who claims to pray so often. 
When I go home tonight, I will have no desire to ask God to help me be a better man, for I'm good the way I am. I will not act like those folks who call themselves Christians, but then say we should pray for help every day. If they really need so much, if they really were so good, they would have no need to pray for help. His glinting eyes, the aggressive posture in his words left me in shocked silence for a moment. Then I told him that I did, the, I did feel the need for contact with God, even if he did not. This man was a very able salesman, but he worked for three different companies in just a few years, and then we heard no more about him. I have not seen him for a number of years. It is sad to see such an unbending man. James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It is easy to be on bended knees while the heart, mind, and thoughts are not in the same position. Let us bring all of these into true subjection to our living God in continual prayer. Then, when the eternal call comes, we will not just fade away. Better to be found on bended knees now than to be begging for rocks and hills to cover us later. Just a good reminder, there are people like that in the world. It's hard to imagine, but that's the truth. I wanted to read what I missed. I guess I have a little time, don't I? Yeah. I wanted to read what I missed the other day. Um, it was called A Welcome Dog, and this is just another story. I hope you don't get tired of stories. I, I Maybe I could do some other things more profitably. But this is uh, called about a welcome dog. One winter we lived in a lonely New Hampshire county road, only one farmhouse from being only one farmhouse being near. One morning the weather promising to be fair, my husband and little son left me to go to a neighboring town 10 miles away expecting to return at night. I did not mind being alone as I was busy about the house, but toward noon I noticed dark clouds rapidly rising and the wind beginning to blow and soon snowflakes covered the ground. Still I did not feel anxious but kept a watchful eye down the mountain road, although I knew it was hardly time to expect my loved ones to return. The darkness came on swiftly and the storm increased in violence until it seemed as if the roof of the house would be torn off. Every old shingle apparently vying with its neighbor in its hurry to be gone. Hardly daring to breathe but longing to scream, I lighted a fire in the great fireplace and the flames threw their ruddy glow over the room. As I began to realize that I was all alone, I grew more frightened and I thought, I cannot stay here all this night alone. Not only was the storm to be dreaded, but early in the day I had seen two most vicious-looking men go by on their way to the village. I knew that they lived in an old shanty not far from us. They had called once to seek shelter from a slight shower, and I thought they will surely think we will give them shelter from such a storm as this. I did not know what to do, for they were never known to come away sober from the village. I made up my mind to get to a neighbor's house. When I opened the door, the wind nearly took me off my feet, and blinded by the snow and sleet, I hastily shut the door and went back into the lighted room. But I could not rest. I wandered from room to room, and it seemed as if I should be insane from fright, for never before had I experienced a mountain storm. I have passed through many storms since then, but that stands out with a prominence which will not allow it to ever be forgotten. Going to the window and peering out into the darkness, I suddenly felt prompted to pray, not for the family's return, for I hoped they were sheltered from the storm, but I prayed, give me strength, O Lord, to overcome this fear. And before I finished my prayer, it was answered. Above the roar of the storm, I heard under my window the barking of my neighbor's huge dog. I let him in, all covered as he was with snow, and he walked over to the fire and lay down and looked up into my face with an almost human intelligence as if he would say, you needn't be afraid, I'll take care of you. With a thankful heart, I lay down and slept sweetly all night. The owner of the dog told me the next day that in all the years he had owned him, never had he known him to believe his mat at night, but for two hours they had tried to keep him in, and at last, fearing they would get no sleep if he stayed, they opened the door, and he bounded away in the storm toward our house. She adds, now by what instinct was he guided? Did he know that the one who had fed and petted him was in deep trouble? I believed then and believe now that God sent him. There was another selection from the uh, Bounds, E.M. Bounds book, 
that was on humility, and I wanted to read that, but I didn't think I'd have time, and I probably wouldn't have time. But I do want to recommend it as one of the most important elements of prayer and worship and praise. You've already heard that. Um, Bounds puts it in such a beautiful way. Uh, He says, we can't have the Spirit of God and not be humble. We need humility to pray to God even. I'd like to read one more thing and then we'll have a song and close. You maybe have heard this. It's pretty soul-searching though and it kind of ties in with what is your aim in life? What do you plan to do the next year? And what do you plan to do with your whole life? It's called What Then? When all the great plants of our cities have turned out their last finished work, when our merchants have sold their last yard of silk and dismissed the last tired clerk, when our banks have raked in their last dollar and paid the last dividend, when the judge of the earth says close for the night and asks for the balance, what then? When the choir has sung its last anthem and the preacher has made his last prayer and the people have heard their last sermon and the sound has died out in the air, when the Bible lies closed on the altar and the pews are all empty of men and each, when each one stands facing his record and the great book is opened, what then? when the actors have played their last drama and the mimic has made his last fun, when the film has flashed its last picture and the billboard displayed its last run and the crowd seeking pleasure have vanished and out, gone out in the darkness again and the trumpet of ages is sounded and we stand before him, what then? When the bugle's call sinks into silence and the long marching columns stand still, when the captain repeats his last orders and they've captured the last fort and hill, when the flag has been hauled from the masthead and the wounded afield are all checked in and a world that rejected its Savior is asked for a reason, what then?